So on Sundays, uh, Mary and I, we usually go to church separately. She focuses on worship, does all that stuff. I kind of uh, go into my area, pray, go over the message. And because this is conference, it's, it's different. So it was really funny this morning on the way, uh, not having that kind of time, knowing that I'm going to be sharing with you guys. And so it started with her saying, we got to rush out. Niall's got a field trip. That's our youngest. So my mind is somewhere else. And then she typically, again, before Sherry, and I, it's not like this, but she's talking about everything this morning, like people from the church, things that have happened 10 years ago to current stuff. And it ended on a high note. She talked to me about menopause for like the last 10 minutes before we got here. And I'm laughing in the car like, how did we get here? Why is this happening? So we, we show up at, at the coffee shop and she's like, She's like, uh, I'm going to go to Whole Foods real quick. I was like, yes, please. Go to Whole Foods. I'm talking about evangelism today. I'm going to go into this coffee shop, and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. That's all I want to do right now is shift my thinking. And then we get into the coffee shop, and then Sam is in the coffee shop. So then I feel convicted. I can't, like, do evangelism knowing that I'm going to be talking about evangelism. And he's going to be like, he's just doing that because he saw me here. So I spent five minutes talking to some lady about her dog named Syrup. Really strange. So on to evangelism with all you guys this morning. Um, several of the sessions, um, our speaker said that it's not prescriptive. Uh, I found that to be helpful. It's a reminder, um, even with what I'm going to share with you guys, that the pressure is really not on me, not telling you exactly what to do or how to do it. Um, but in reviewing my notes, I did realize that I'm going to make uh, what I would say is a clear diagnosis and some strong recommendations. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't feel like an expert in this area by any stretch of the imagination. I'm reminded of a lady in our church who does prayer. She's on our prayer team, and she's consistently questioned that because the way she was called into prayer. We had in a couple of events, we asked her to pray for people. Then we asked her to join the team, and then we started calling her up after service. She's on the team, and every service I had to look at her and be like, get up here and pray for people. And she had this conviction that, that because of the way she was called, that maybe it really wasn't her calling. And as we talk, she says, I love prayer. I love hearing from God. There's fruit, like people are responding to the words that she has. And still, there's this hesitance. Um, so I think for me in the area of, of evangelism, it's very similar for me. Like, I find myself talking about this often, but it's not really um, something that I particularly feel like called or gifted in. But like her, just I guess it is what it is. We'll see how this, this goes with you guys today. Um, in order to stay with my time, I decided uh, just to remove all the scriptures, so that's good for a conference. John, you should feel really good about this. <laughs> I do have one. It's only uh, five verses I want to share with you guys. Acts 1, uh, verse 6 to 11 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So when I look at this passage, I think it's clear that there's work to be done when it comes to sharing the good news, right? 
The angels say to them, get going. He told you there's something that you need to do. You have to actually get going. Stop standing here. Stop sitting here. Stop talking about evangelism. Stop thinking about evangelism and start doing evangelism. I realize that much of what I'm going to share with you guys is um, about us and our teams and our churches, our members, how we can be stretched, how we can be encouraged, how we can grow evangelistically, all these things. And it sounds crazy, but I feel like we need to be reminded that evangelism is really about other people. It's not about us and how we feel and what we're comfortable with and what our leanings are. The idea is there are people out there that need to hear the good news. The disciples here in this story, they're asking him about uh, the kingdom being restored to us. And obviously this is about, uh, the passage is really about uh, how the kingdom is being restored. But again, the focus is on themselves. And then Jesus just quickly shifts it um, and says, no, it's about those in Jerusalem, those in Samaria and Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. It's not really about the us that are already here. It's about the those that need to be part of us. Make sense? So I think that's what we need to do is just change our perspective from the jump this morning. I think one of the reasons we aren't as forward-leaning in this area as we should be is because we've even made evangelism um, itself about us and what we're comfortable doing, what we feel like our gifts are. Um, We talk about how much knowledge or or lack of knowledge that we have and what the conversations might be like out there, uh, gifts we possess or that we don't possess. And again, I just think it's too much talk about us. I think we have to put Jesus back into the center of the conversation, and then we need to go to other people and what their needs are, and then we can appropriately talk about where we may or may not be lacking in areas that we need to grow in. But I think our perspective might be a little bit off. So what I'm going to be talking about is local primarily, right? So Jerusalem, our local churches, what I think that we should be doing close to home and doing consistently. Um, In our church in particular, we have a ministry that we call Sidewalk Sanctuary because um, it's not really a ministry until you have a cool name for it. So you can use it if you want to, Sidewalk Sanctuary. Um, What that is is um, we go out consistently at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, and we have kind of three facets. We'll do like uh, neighborhood outreaches where we go door to door, knocking on doors, talking to people about the Lord, asking if they have needs, uh, prayer requests, that kind of stuff. We'll go into shopping centers like malls or, or strip malls, things like that. Um, and we will, uh, same thing, offer people prayer, ask them about church. Do they have a church? Do they know the Lord? Um, uh, we will also give them, like we'll buy gift cards for Starbucks. So we'll, enter, we'll meet people and say, here, I want to give this to you. And they'll immediately pull back. Like they think you're trying to sell something. They think like um, they get really uh, angry because they're like, I don't need anything from you. Right? And what we're trying to say is that God doesn't want to take anything from you. God wants to give something to you. We want to give you a different perspective of the church and of the people of God who will come out and find you and not wait for you to come into our churches. And then another thing that we do, we call it feeding friends. We have a trailer. We'll take it out. We'll we'll pull up in a homeless community. We'll pull up at a park. We'll pull up at, at the local high school, and we'll just provide free food, give it to people, talk to them about Jesus, and pray for them as they come up to get this free food. I wanted to call that one Dinner with Sinners, but I was outvoted. I still like that one. I think it will work. You guys try and let me know how it goes. So quickly, just so you can get an example, I want to show you a couple of quick pictures of kind of what that is so you can have a, uh, an idea of what I'm talking about. I know that there is um, 
Samaria and Judea, and there's the end of the world, and there's missions and all that stuff, but this is just local stuff we want to talk about. So we're walking through neighborhoods and talking to people. That guy actually ended up joining our church before moving out of state. This is my son, um, just from the time they can walk. Even when they, before they could walk, we'd have them in strollers because I think I'm friendly, but for whatever reason, when I run up on strangers, there's some hesitancy. But when you have a baby, use your babies for all they're worth. <laughs> people will talk to you. Um, so this is a homeless community in a riverbed that we would go and do our feeding friends, pull up our barbecue pits and give them food, give them food. You can keep going. Let's from the time they're kids. And again, um, I think one of the ideas here, like when we get older and we're struggling with evangelism and we, we're convinced for some reason that our kids aren't going to struggle. Well, why aren't they going to struggle? They're not going out. They're not doing it. And then you're going to be asked as adults to do those things. This is Skid Row. Depending on where your church is, there may not be as many people in visible need where you are locally. So we, uh, like again, we went to another city for the homeless community. We went to Skid Row, packed these things. And some of these people who are kids are now leaders within our church and go with us consistently. There's people who have needs. And these are the kind of things that I feel like um, they're just very hard to find our people or put our people in these circumstances or situations if you're not intentional about it. I think there's a few more. Let's, let's get through these. Um, yeah, so um, it's just there's needs out there, guys. There's, there's people who have needs. I look at my kids talking to these people and giving them food and, and praying for them. This is a Sunday after church. We do ours now just for the sake of time. We'll do it Sunday after church, and you can get 20, 30 people from your church to just say, let's go out and actually talk to people. Even during COVID, um, I think it, it meant a lot for the church to actually be out there trying to serve people. This is MacArthur Park in L.A., um, people hurting, uh, and they're out there. So I just think it's, this is the area that I'm going to talk to you guys about as far as what we should be doing or what we can be doing locally. So last one here, those are some of our young people. We get out of the van, we pull out the grill, we go and talk to these people. We've invested into being able to make this something that our people understand that we're going to do consistently. A couple of, of quick stories, um, or just highlight a couple of quick things. My daughter just this month when we went out, Lady gets out of her car. She says, hey, my name's Naomi. I want to invite you to church, but can I pray for you? The lady starts crying. My daughter, 13 years old, lays hands on her, starts praying for her. We walk through a neighborhood in Brea last month, knock on a door. A lady is crying. She goes running from the door. Her sister comes and says, my husband died tragically two days ago. Our 16-year-old, 17-year-old now, steps into the house, lays hands on them, starts praying for them. I'm the pastor. I'm a little ways back, and we've got our hands stretched out. These are experiences that, like, um, just, they're out there for us. People are out there hurting. We met a couple at local at the Ralphs out here. Tell them about Jesus. They get saved. Come to the church. Marriage counseling. Marry them. Um, this year, earlier, uh, the, the group went out to a house. A man comes out, a veteran, um, has PTSD, says, what can God do for me? <clears throat> they say, can we pray for you? Puts his hands out. The ladies in our church start praying for him. He starts weeping and crying. His wife comes out and says, um, um, she's been waiting for something to happen for him. She starts weeping and crying. All while typically we're just sitting in our churches, I think, comfortable. So last one, uh, how, we how we started our church, 2008, uh, we had just planted. <clears throat> and I was going like I do. I get out of work. I go into the city. I start telling people about the church, telling people about God. Man gets uh, off of a bus. I go to shake his hand. He says, you don't want to shake my hand. My hands are dirty. And uh, I said, uh, it's okay. I want to shake your hand. He had just gotten out of prison, taking a bus back to his family. All right? And uh, 
he decides to come to the church. His wife comes to the church. He battled for four years with alcoholism, passes away. But I learned more about God, more about the people who are hurting out there, more about what it means to be fighting for your salvation as you're trying to serve God, but you have an addiction. His wife, his daughter, who was in junior high at the time, stayed in the church. She just passed away 10 years later. Uh, when he passed away, Mary and I were in, e were in Egypt, um, and she wouldn't let them bury him until I got back from Egypt. <clears throat> She passed away, we're still there with her daughter, with her family, and just watching how literally right here at Carl's Jr. around the corner from, the, from this church is where I met him on a random night of the week, trying to be out there instead of just being in the church. So much I learned from them, so much I learned from those experiences. So we have a million of stories like that of um, the people who are actually out there that aren't in here with us yet. Um, and I do believe that it is up to us to go out there and find them, to actually go out there and encounter them, engage them, pursue them. Um, I don't know about the rest of you. When we were praying right now, one of the men came over and, and laid hands on me. We were all standing here, and we still were kind of like enjoying the worship. And he came right for me, and I had that sense of like, man, God, you see me. Like, you want something for me. And I don't know if you guys remember what that's like when you weren't saved. But the fact that God wanted you was like the most important thing in the world to consider that you could be the person out there that goes to somebody and says, God wants you. God loves you. God sees you. That's why people are crying in the parking lots. That's why people are crying in their doors. Can you imagine you just lost your husband? You open the door and God has sent somebody there to love you and pray for you. All right. Here's the four things. Quick ideas. Number one, Jesus, the evangelist. Jesus taught in the temple. He did a lot of ministry in and around the temple, but all of his disciples were found out in the streets. They weren't in the church. They were out in the streets. Like, that's where he found them. He works all these miracles, all these encounters, all the stories we preach, and all the parables are not in the church or in the synagogue. They're out there in the world. So I'm not going to read it, but one of my favorite stories is the road to Emmaus. Jesus resurrects, and he thinks it's so important to do evangelism, that he goes and finds two individuals who are going the wrong direction before he comes back to meet those who were gathering, the disciples who were already gathering. I think it's pretty important to him. I believe that your, your leaders may be out there. Your most committed people may be out there. The people who won't leave you may be out there because they're the ones that know that you came to get them. The people who come to our churches who think they're doing us a favor, they're the first ones to leave. The people that you went out there and found in the middle of the worst places of their life are the ones that know how much you love God and know how much you love them. Our children's church director, she's here today. 2010, we're on an outreach. We went into her apartment complex. We gave her son a flyer. I think he was like five years old. They've been with us for like 12 years. She leads our, our uh, children's church. Her, her oldest son is a worship leader on our team. Recently, she said she feels like she grew up together with us, and she's been through thick and thin with us, but we found her on an outreach, not somebody that was in the church. When we go out, um, we have to believe that we can be encountering our next best friends, the people who we're going to do life with, go on mission trips with, experience amazing things with, and endure hard things with. Um, and last thing on that one, I think the people out there want to see the church um, combating their preconceived notions. If we don't go out there and show them something different, they have a, an impression of us, same impression that I had. So if you go out there, they can't say we're not loving, we don't care, we're judgmental because they'll see something and experience something different. 
I'm going fast now. Jesus the Evangelist, number two, repent and be sanctified. We are extremely focused on the saved being more and more sanctified and more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Um, and if we use our, um, our resources and how we focus our ministries as kind of like a litmus test, I think that way more focus needs to be on salvations um, and not less, but we need to evaluate how much is on sanctification. We want everybody to get better and better and grow and grow and get more like Christ and more like Christ, but we're not as focused. Maybe 10% of our resources, our time, our ministries are focused on the lost, and everything's focused on who's already here. I think that's because the return on investment seems so much higher when we provide for and we seek and we serve those who are in the church. We are people who want to invest and we want to give and we want to serve, but we actually want to see the results of all that. So if you do it in the church, you can see people growing and taking on ministries and planting churches. If you do it out there, more often than not, you see people saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So we forget about them. Again, Peter and Cornelius, I think you see some of that there, the these and the those, and how hard it was for him to change his mind and his perspective on those and then to actually go. But then what do you see? Like John talked about, he said, when you preach the gospel, you should expect powerful things to happen and God to move. That's what you see with Peter when he goes to Cornelius' house is he's out there with the those and God moves and the spirit falls and everybody gets saved and households are saved. I think we should be preaching, but I think we should be in those environments where we can see those types of things happen. I think uh, apparently for some of the things I'm hearing, altar calls are a thing of the past, but uh, not for me. I preach, I do an altar call, I think every service, because I'm expecting people who haven't heard the gospel or haven't listened to the gospel to be there, number one. And then I'm expecting the people that are already saved and trying to be sanctified to respond to whatever it was that God was saying. So to not have an opportunity to respond, I think it goes back to kind of what John was saying, John was saying about our expectations. Being out there in the world puts that at the forefront of your mind, saved and sanctified. If you're only in the church, you're only thinking about the sanctified. If you're out there with those who are lost, you'll be thinking about salvation a whole lot more, I think. So I called it repent and be sanctified because I think we need to prioritize these a little bit better. Um, and I think at least we need to consider the balance in our church. I had a cool example I was going to do, but Nick is clocking me. So just think it would have been awesome right now. Last one, pretty much. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus the evangelist, repent and be sanctified. They aren't ready and neither are we. My favorite character in the Bible is Simon the Cyrenian. He's minding his own business. He's walking. He's being a good dad, taking care of his kids. And then he's compelled to carry the cross of Christ, not expecting to. And I love that for evangelism because people are never ready to give their life to Jesus. They're never ready to redirect their whole way of living, their whole way of thinking. But for whatever reason... We cower because of that and don't want to talk to them. I love that uh, Simon the Cyrenian ends up in the Bible. He ends up uh, reminding me that Jesus is going to ask us to carry the cross no matter who you are or when that is. Like, we don't have to sugarcoat that. And the fact that they're not ready, again, I think can be a blessing. I really don't care if they're, if they're ready or not. Um, I just trust that God will do something like he did in this man's life. <clears throat> last thing on this one is that uh, we think we're coming in cold, but we're actually coming in hot, right? Like you think if you go out knocking on doors that you're kind of like 
they have no frame of reference or they're not ready for this, whatever that might be. But actually, God is typically working on people. That's why when they get out of their car and you say, do you need prayer? They start crying because God has already been doing something. We're not really coming in cold. You're coming in hot. I say that we're not ready and they're not ready because new blood does something to your church. Right? They're not ready to hear all this, but when people come in broken, people come in off the streets, people come in that, are, that are, uh, uh, haven't been brought by family members or raised in the church, the church is exposed to something that they're not typically exposed to. The unchurched do something to the church. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Those who are hungry for preaching and teaching that others have grown tired of does something to the church. Even as leaders, we're preaching sometimes, and you can tell, like, some people are just tired of hearing from you. And then somebody that just came in from the street, they're like, this is so good. He loves me. I think these people and their circumstances challenge our members to grow and evaluate whether they want to be a gospel-shaped church or a comfortable me-shaped church. Most of the conversations many of you may be having is about how to better serve and make more comfortable and to facilitate for the people who are here. But when you start bringing in these types of people and going out to find them, people have to make a decision. Do we want that disruption? Do we want that ugliness? Do we want people that really are wearing their ugliness on the outside? I think that makes us more gospel-shaped. It keeps us pastors from growing cold as well. I don't mean this in in a... derogatory and mean way, but when you're in a silo with your people all the time, you can get bitter and you can get cold. And there's something about somebody else coming in in need that you can serve that does something for, uh, for leaders, I think. And I think this is just plain and simply what Jesus wants. There's these, there's those, there's the lost, the found. I think our focus can um, get inward and we have to actively fight against it. Does that make sense? Like, I always hear people want to do evangelism. They want this to be part of their church, want this to be part of their life, but there's not a lot of action in these areas. We can all probably talk about something you're passionate about in your church and steps you're taking and resources that you've applied and and how you want to see God move in it. But in this particular area, it seems more like, um, like a hope with no real action a lot of times. So finally, seeking salvations, I think, is also a catalyst for sanctification. They're not in opposition to one another. You don't have to to not hope for people and and lead in such a way that people will be sanctified. But when you're seeking for um, salvations, that does something to the people who are already saved. And they say, man, I got to grow. I got to do more. Um, I think it gives your members new experiences, new perspective. And I think it will also remind all of us why we initially wanted to be pastors and leaders to begin with. When we got saved, I don't think we said, I can't wait to help people just grow so much in their relationship with Jesus. For me, I was saying, I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. I can't wait to see people get saved. I'll do anything, go anywhere, give up anything. If somebody's life could be changed like my life was changed, if I can introduce them to Jesus, and then for whatever reason, we just, we get here. The needs within the church are so visible, and they're there every day, and they're there every week, that I think we get trapped. So last two things, an encouragement, um, and then I want to read a a closing message, and then we'll pray. So two encouragements. Number one, I would say make it happen now as part of the church so that people coming in always have to wrestle with things and people beyond themselves and their church. So for those of you that are just planting, those of you that will plant, um, I would encourage you to do something immediately. Those of us that already have churches, you don't have to wait till next year. It doesn't have to be part of your 2023 plan. Put something in your calendar. People should have to wrestle and think about 
um, people outside of our churches and, um, and be exposed to these things. Uh, number two, another goal for Sidewalk Saints is that people would be stretched and developed, prepared for mission within their sphere of influence. So we want people in their homes, their schools, their workplaces, their communities. That's what we've seen is you may not have the best results when you're out there in the community, but those people are stronger when they need to talk to their kids, when they need to talk to family members, when they want to talk to coworkers. It's like there's this training that's been going on because of what they've been doing in the church. So my question to you is, I know all of you want uh, the people in your churches to be doing that, but how are you actually developing them? Like, what are we doing that makes people more likely to talk to their neighbor or more likely to talk to their coworker, more likely to talk to a stranger? If we're not doing anything in the church, what I'm convinced of is that we think our preaching is so good that it's just going to naturally inspire that in people, and it's not. We're, you guys are really good preachers, though, but. That's just not how it works. We have to actually do something. So it doesn't have to be what we do or sidewalk sanctuary, but I just don't think that it's just going to naturally happen. So this is the story I wanted to share, and then I'm done. Am I close? Kevin, you didn't give me the wave, so. Okay. So after a, a long message like this one, at uh, Mercy Commons and an altar call that was probably, could have been skipped, it was a little bit late. A young lady uh, came up to me and uh, we prayed, we talked. She followed up a few times over the course of like the month and a half or two months since I was there with them and, and was intrigued and wanted to know more about Sidewalk Sanctuary and, and try to join us for one. So about a week and a half, two weeks ago, she actually showed up um, and went with us. And these are her reflections on uh, that day a couple, couple weeks ago. She writes, uh, it was a joy to participate in the church with a capital C. It's easy for us to sit on two opposite extremes. Either we stick only to our local church community or we bounce around from church to church without getting rooted, knowing and being known. My experience with Sidewalk Sanctuary was distinct from either of these. I'm deeply connected with my local church community. Praise God. I also experienced the sheer joy of participating in the greater church. Most of the people in this congregation had never laid eyes on me, yet they welcomed me in like I'd known them for years. Christ is our connection. Our group on Sunday spanned various ethnicities, ages, genders, and socioeconomic statuses, yet we shared the joyful bond of family forever bought with Christ's precious blood. You're never too young or too old to go witnessing. I was pleasantly surprised to meet entire families going out on sidewalk sanctuary. There was a baby in a stroller, early elementary kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, all the way up to grandmas. It deeply encouraged me to, uh, to see both ends of the age spectrum. I place a high value on outreach and want to ingrain it into my future children as a lifestyle. Labor, laboring alongside these families gave me a tangible picture of what outreach with my future family might look like. And to see grandmas going out, this warmed my heart. I hope Mama Peaches doesn't mind me calling her out. This lady had a smile that lights up a room, and she wore a light pink shirt which said the word Sunday Vibes printed on it. She was so enthusiastic that she even stopped to pray for an employee in a restaurant bathroom. Seeing her zealous joy gave me vision for how I want to run this race for decades to come. In Christ, we together kept telling Pastor Vaughn that I was deeply encouraged to be going with people. The Lord has been cultivating my heart and experience in outreach for some years now, but most of the time it's been on my own. A detour here, a person highlighted there. Though I have some delightful God stories from these God and me adventures, there was something so precious about going with the body of Christ at large. 
And for me personally, it was incredibly refreshing to labor alongside people already passionate about reaching our fellow image bearers instead of being the one constantly trying to stoke the fire. We're not meant to do this life alone, nor is community designed to be solely inward facing. I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> it goes on and on. At the end, that next week, she ended up at a coffee shop and was inspired to go and talk to somebody because she had a conversation. One of the two people wasn't saved. Her and, the, and the, these other two strangers, they prayed for the one person, felt like they saw healing. And then she closes with saying, um, um, being at Sidewalk Sanctuary the week before inspired me to be outward facing and looking and taking steps that I might not have taken otherwise. So all that to say, it doesn't matter what you title it. It doesn't matter um, um, what it looks like. It doesn't have to be prescriptive. But if there's nothing on the calendar in your churches, I think there should be. If you don't have a ministry leader, I think you should have one. If you don't have a vision that is not based on return on investment, I think we need to reevaluate it. Um, and I think there's great, great opportunity um, for what it does in the lives of our leaders, what it does in the lives of our members, and uh, what I think it does for, the, for the, the way that God's church is seen out there in the world. So that's it.